0: section eight of the three impostors by arthur macken this librivox recording is in the public domain part two of the novel of the black seal the next morning when i awoke and looked out of the bow-window of the big old-fashioned bedroom i saw under a grey sky a country that was still all mystery the long lovely valley with the river winding in and out below crossed in mid-vision by a medieval bridge of vaulted and buttressed stone. The clear presence of the rising ground beyond, and the woods that I had only seen in shadow the night before, seemed tinged with enchantment, and the soft breath of air that sighed in at the open pane was like no other wind. I looked across the valley, and beyond, hill followed on hill as wave on wave, and here a faint blue pillar of smoke rose still in the morning air from the chimney of an ancient grey farmhouse there was a rugged height crowned with dark firs and in the distance i saw the white streak of a road that climbed and vanished into some unimagined country but the boundary of all was a great wall of mountain vast in the west and ending like a fortress with a steep ascent and a dome cumulus clear against the sky i saw professor gregg walking up and down the terrace path below the windows and it was evident that he was revelling in the sense of liberty and the thought that he had for a while bidden good-bye to task-work when i joined him there was exultation in his voice as he pointed out the sweep of valley and the river that wound beneath the lovely hills yes he said it is a strange and beautiful country and to me at least it seems full of mystery you have not forgotten the drawer i showed you miss lally no and you have guessed that i have come here not merely for the sake of the children and the fresh air i think i have guessed as much as that i replied but you must remember i do not know the mere nature of your investigations and as for the connection between the search and this wonderful valley it is past my guessing he smiled queerly at me you must not think i am making a mystery for the sake of mystery he said i do not speak out because so far there is nothing to be spoken nothing definite i mean nothing that can be set down in hard black and white as dull and sure and irreproachable as any blue book and then i have another reason many years ago a chance paragraph in a newspaper caught my attention and focused in an instant the vagrant thoughts and half-formed fancies of many idle and speculative hours into a certain hypothesis i saw at once that i was treading on a thin crust my theory was wild and fantastic in the extreme and i would not for any consideration have written a hint of it for publication but i thought that in the company of scientific men like myself men who knew the course of discovery and were aware that the gas that blazes and flares in the gin palace was once a wild hypothesis i thought that with such men as these i might hazard my dream let us say atlantis or the philosopher's stone or what you like without danger of ridicule i found i was grossly mistaken my friends looked blankly at me and at one another and i could see something of pity and something also of insolent contempt in the glances they exchanged one of them called on me next day and hinted that i must be suffering from overwork and brain exhaustion in plain terms i said you think i am going mad i think not and i showed him out with some little appearance of heat since that day i vowed that i would never whisper the nature of my story to any living soul to no one but yourself have i ever shown the contents of that drawer after all i may be following a rainbow i may have been misled by the play of coincidence but as i stand here in this mystic hush and silence beneath the woods and wild hills i am more than ever sure that i am hot on the scent come it is time we went in to me in all this there was something both of wonder and excitement i knew how in his ordinary work professor gregg moved step by step testing every inch of the way and never venturing on assertion without proof that was impregnable yet i divined more from his glance and the vehemence of his tone than from the spoken word that he had in his every thought the vision of the almost incredible continually with him and i who was with some share of imagination no little of a sceptic offended at a hint of the marvellous could not help asking myself whether he were cherishing a monomania and barring out from this one subject all the scientific method of his other life yet with this image of mystery haunting my thoughts i surrendered wholly to the charm of the country above the faded house on the hillside began the great forest a long dark line seen from the opposing hills stretching above the river for many a mile from north to south and yielding in the north to even wilder country barren and savage hills and ragged common land a territory all strange and unvisited and more unknown to englishmen than the very heart of africa the space of a couple of steep fields alone separated the house from the woods and the children were delighted to follow me up the long alleys of undergrowth beneath smooth bleached walls of shining beech to the highest point in the wood whence one looked on one side across the river and the rise and fall of the country to the great western mountain wall and on the other over the surge and dip of the myriad trees of the forest over level meadows and the shining yellow sea to the faint coast beyond i used to sit at this point on the warm sunlit turf which marked the track of the roman road while the two children raced about hunting for the windberries that grew here and there on the banks here beneath the deep blue sky and the great clouds rolling like olden galleons with sails full-bellied from the sea to the hills as i listened to the whispered charm of the great and ancient wood i lived solely for delight and only remembered strange things when we would return to the house and find professor gregg either shut up in the little room he had made his study or else pacing the terrace with the look patient and enthusiastic of the determined seeker one morning some eight or nine days after our arrival i looked out of my window and saw the whole landscape transmuted before me the clouds had dipped low and hidden the mountain in the west the southern wind was driving the rain in shifting pillars up the valley and the little brooklet that burst the hill below the house now raged a red torrent down the river we were perforce obliged to keep snug within doors and when i had attended to my pupils i sat down in the morning-room where the ruins of a library still encumbered an old-fashioned bookcase i had inspected the shelves once or twice but their contents had failed to attract me volumes of eighteenth-century sermons an old book on ferriery a collection of poems by persons of quality prideaux's connection and an odd volume of pope were the boundaries of the library and there seemed little doubt that everything of interest or value had been removed now however in desperation i began to re-examine the musty sheepskin and calf bindings and found much to my delight a fine old quarto printed by the stefani containing three books of pomponius mella de situ orbis and other of the ancient geographers i knew enough of latin to steer my way through an ordinary sentence and i soon became absorbed by the odd mixture of fact and fancy light shining on a little of the space of the world and beyond mist and shadow and awful forms glancing over the clear printed pages my attention was caught by the heading of a chapter in solenus and i read the words mira de intimis gentibus Libiae de lapide hexe contalito the wonders of the people that inhabit the inner parts of libya and the stone called sixty stone the odd title attracted me and i read on Cens is avia er secreta habitat in montibus horrendis feda misteria celebrat de omnibus nihil aliud ili preferunt quam figuram ab humano ritu porsus exulant holderunt um lucis stridunt potius quam locuuntur sona nec sine horrore arditur lapide quodam gloriantur quem exe contaliton vocant dicunt enim unc lapidem sexaginta nota sostendere cuius lapidis nomen secretum ine falibe collunt quod ic sacsar. this folk i translated to myself dwells in remote and secret places and celebrates foul mysteries on savage hills nothing have they in common with men save the face and the customs of humanity are wholly strange to them and they hate the sun they hiss rather than speak their voices are harsh and not to be heard without fear they boast of a certain stone which they call sixty stone for they say that it displays sixty characters and this stone has a secret unspeakable name which is ixaxar i laughed at the queer inconsequence of all this and thought it fit for sinbad the sailor or other of the supplementary knights when i saw professor gregg in the course of the day i told him of my find in the bookcase and the fantastic rubbish i had been reading to my surprise he looked up at me with an expression of great interest this is really very curious he said i have never thought it worth while to look into the old geographers and i dare say i have missed a good deal ah that is the passage is it it seems a shame to rob you of your entertainment i really think i must carry off the book the next day the professor called me to come to the study i found him sitting at a table in the full light of the window scrutinizing something very attentively with a magnifying glass ah miss lally he began i want to use your eyes this glass is pretty good but not like my old one that i left in town would you mind examining the thing yourself and telling me how many characters are cut on it he handed me the object in his hand i saw that it was the black seal he had shown me in london and my heart began to beat with the thought that i was presently to know something i took the seal and holding it up to the light checked off the grotesque dagger-shaped characters one by one i make sixty-two i said at last sixty-two nonsense it's impossible ah i see what you have done you have counted that and that and he pointed to two marks which i had certainly taken for letters with the rest yes yes professor gregg went on but those are obvious scratches done accidentally i saw that at once yes then that's quite right Mm, thank you very much miss lally i was going away rather disappointed at my having been called in merely to count a number of marks on the black seal when suddenly there flashed into my mind what i had read in the morning but professor gregg i cried breathless the seal the seal why it is the stone execontalitos that solinus writes of it is yes he said i suppose it is or it may be a mere coincidence it never does to be too sure you know in these matters coincidence killed the professor i went away puzzled by what i had heard and as much as ever at a loss to find the ruling clue in this maze of strange evidence for three days the bad weather lasted changing from driving rain to a dense mist fine and dripping and we seemed to be shut up in a white cloud that veiled all the world away from us all the while professor gregg was darkling in his room unwilling it appeared to dispense confidences or talk of any kind i heard him walking to and fro with a quick impatient step as if he were in some way wearied of inaction the fourth morning was fine and at breakfast the professor said briskly we want some extra help about the house a boy of fifteen or sixteen you know there are a lot of little odd jobs that take up the maid's time which a boy could do much better the girls have not complained to me in any way i replied indeed anne said there was much less work than in london owing to there being so little dust ah yes they are very good girls but i think we shall do much better with a boy in fact that is what has been bothering me for the last two days bothering you i said in astonishment for as a matter of fact the professor never took the slightest interest in the affairs of the house yes he said the weather you know i really couldn't go out in that scotch mist i don't know the country very well and i should have lost my way but i am going to get the boy this morning but how do you know there is such a boy as you want anywhere about oh i have no doubt as to that i may have to walk a mile or two at the most but i am sure to find just the boy i require i thought the professor was joking but though his tone was airy enough there was something grim and set about his features that puzzled me he got his stick and stood at the door looking meditatively before him and as i passed through the hall he called to me by the way miss lally there was one thing i wanted to say to you i dare say you may have heard that some of these country lads are not over bright Uh, idiotic would be a harsh word to use and they are usually called naturals or something of the kind i hope you won't mind if the boy i am after should turn out uh, not too keen-witted he will be perfectly harmless of course and blacking boots doesn't need much mental effort with that he was gone striding up the road that led to the wood and i remained stupefied and then for the first time my astonishment was mingled with a sudden note of terror arising i knew not whence and all unexplained even to myself and yet i felt about my heart for an instant something of the chill of death and that shapeless formless dread of the unknown that is worse than death itself i tried to find courage in the sweet air that blew up from the sea and in the sunlight after rain but the mystic woods seemed to darken around me and the vision of the river coiling between the reeds and the silver grey of the ancient bridge fashioned in my mind symbols of vague dread as the mind of a child fashions terror from things harmless and familiar two hours later professor gregg returned i met him as he came down the road and asked quietly if he had been able to find a boy oh yes he answered i found one easily enough his name is gervase craddock and i expect he will make himself very useful his father has been dead for many years and the mother whom i saw seemed very glad at the prospect of a few shillings extra coming in on saturday nights as i expected he is not too sharp has fits at times the mother said but as he will not be trusted with the china that doesn't much matter does it and he is not in any way dangerous you know merely a little weak when is he coming tomorrow morning at eight o'clock and will show him what he has to do and how to do it at first he will go home every night but perhaps it may ultimately turn out more convenient for him to sleep here and only go home for sundays i found nothing to say to all this professor gregg spoke in a quiet tone of of matter-of-fact as indeed was warranted by the circumstance and yet i could not quell my sensation of astonishment at the whole affair i knew that in reality no assistance was wanted in the housework and the professor's prediction that the boy he was to engage might prove a little simple followed by so exact a fulfilment struck me as bizarre in the extreme the next morning i heard from the housemaid that the boy craddock had come at eight and that she had been trying to make him useful he doesn't seem quite all there i don't think miss was her comment and later in the day i saw him helping the old man who worked in the garden he was a youth of about fourteen with black hair and black eyes and an olive skin and i saw at once from the curious vacancy of his expression that he was mentally weak he touched his forehead awkwardly as i went by and i heard him answering the gardener in a queer harsh voice that caught my attention it gave me the impression of someone speaking deep below under the earth and there was a strange sibilance like the hissing of the phonograph as the pointer travels over the cylinder i heard that he seemed anxious to do what he could and was quite docile and obedient and morgan the gardener who knew his mother assured me he was perfectly harmless he's always a bit queer he said and no wonder after what his mother went through before he was born i did know his father thomas craddock well and a very fine workman he was too indeed he got something wrong with his lungs owing to working in the wet woods and never got over it and went off quite sudden-like and they do say as how mrs craddock was quite off her head anyhow she was found by mr Ty tycotch all crouched up on the grey hills over there crying and weeping like a lost soul and gervase he was born about eight months afterwards and as i was saying he was a bit queer always and they do say when he could scarcely walk he would frighten the other children into fits with noises he would make a word in the story had stirred up some remembrance within me and vaguely curious i asked the old man where the grey hills were Up there he said with the same gesture he had used before, you go past the fox and hounds and through the forest by the old ruins. It's a good five miles from here and strange sort of a place. The poorest soil between this and Monmouth, they do say, and though it's good feed for sheep. Yes, it was a sad thing for poor Mrs. Craddock. End of part two of novel of the Black Seal.